Hello and welcome to the Hub Systems Podcast, the voice of Man's Model Moments, the blog of the various ramblings on the modelling and gaming antics of my son and I. My name is Alex Mann, and with me is my son, Oscar. Hello. This episode, we have two very well-known figures in the world of gaming, guests who you should know already, unless you've been living under a rock for the past few years. Now, you might be more familiar with our first guest if I use her alias, Total Fangirl, and you may well have heard her before through her slot on the D6 generation. But wherever you know her from, welcome Nicole Wakelin to the Hub Systems. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. We also have another gaming heavy hitter in Terry Lutorko, who is another very well-known figure in gaming circles and author of The Civilized Guide to Tabletop Gaming, which is available on Amazon as well as good bookstores. Not so much bad bookstores, but she is also the partner of Nathan Pullen, who listeners will likely know as one half of the awesomeness that was Jaded GamerCast. So she has wall-to-wall gaming cred. Welcome, Terry. Howdy. So great to have you both on the show. It's an honour and a pleasure. Before we carry on, perhaps you can flesh out my very brief and uh, inadequate introductions as to your gaming bios. So, Terry, perhaps you can start us off for those uncivilised gamers who have not yet read your book. <laughs> um, so I have been a tabletop wargamer uh, since the first year I moved in with Nathan um, and found a box of miniatures hidden in our back closet that I initially thought was porn. Um, so we, we, so that, that's about, oh my gosh, holy smokes. Now I feel old, like 2003. Um, so I've been involved in miniature wargaming, uh, and, uh, during that time I had not only played and, 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 you know, been at least very heavy in, in that side, but also I ran events and tournaments alongside Nathan, um, one of which was made into a documentary called Hammers of War, available on YouTube uh, by a student documentarian at uh, the local um, Polytechnic Institute. Um, after that, I I ended up starting a vlog on YouTube, kind of inspired by the fact that Nathan kept stealing, stealing my best ideas for his podcast. Um <laughs> And uh, because of that blog, I ended up uh, getting picked by uh, Felicia Day and at the time uh, Jenny uh, Powell, who was a producer of a substantial amount of web content on YouTube uh, for the Geek in Sundry channel. So uh, I joined them and started creating blogs for them around 2003 um, when they moved away from YouTube and the whole channel kind of moved away from YouTube. Um, I ended up writing and contributing to uh, geekandsundry.com, which is uh, uh, which became a blog site, um, and am now a contributing editor for the site. And in that time, I, I wrote a book. Uh, I was uh, approached by a publisher, and they were like, Terry, we really want you to write a book for us about uh, gaming etiquette. And, you know, and, and while part of it's gaming etiquette, I, I like to think of it as a survival guide um, to kind of surviving the community of tabletop gaming. Um, and because of there's so many nuances to kind of getting through and surviving, you know, conventions and um, tournaments and even just hosting your own gaming night. Uh, so for me, a lot of that uh, kind of got inserted into the book. So uh, that's that's more or less what I've been doing in the past few years. Cool. Now, that just makes me feel firstly very old and secondly very inadequate. So we'll, we'll move swiftly on from that. <laughs> 
And Nicole, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have heard you before as well on the D6 Generation. Uh, and I must say, I'm a big fan of the show myself. I, uh, halfway through the latest episode. But for everybody else, please tell us about yourself and, and your gamer bio. Uh, yeah, so I host a segment on the D6 Generation podcast, which my husband, Russ Wakeland, and his best buddy, Craig Gallant, have been running for a million years now, it feels like. Um, and I've been interested in gaming and gaming, gosh, since I first started dating him which predates all the dates that you guys gave and i'm really going to make myself feel old so since the 80s and um have played and at some point messed around with just about every kind of game out there just because i enjoy it because it was a huge hobby for him and although it wasn't hiding in the back of a closet like a, a box of hidden porn like you terry um it was one of those like what is all this stuff that you have uh and so that's how we got into it we had a store briefly uh called dakadaki gaming where we sold Games Workshop products, and that got me even more into the whole idea of uh, tabletop gaming. I uh, learned how to play everything they had currently at the time and putting models together. And for me, a lot of the fun of it was just seeing everything from a kid who was 10 years old who was just learning how to play to that curmudgeonly 60-year-old guy who'd been playing forever. Uh, it was really fun to see all these very different and diverse people, and that's one of the things I like about gaming is that there's no one person that plays. Um, when my husband, when Russ started the podcast and I started uh, taking part in that, I also started my own website called Total Fangirl, where I kind of talk about gaming and nerdy stuff and whatever strikes my fancy. Uh, I've written kind of all over the place on the Internet about um, games and nerd culture. I did a uh, the Firefly RPG with Margaret Weiss. I wrote a story called Freedom Flyer, which is one of the um, stories in that whole universe. I've written for Nerd Approved, Fashionably Geek, Geek Mom. Uh, kind of all over the place. And now my, my favorite nerd thing, though, is just to write on my own site, Total Fangirl, with what I with what I enjoy. It's nice because it lets me focus on the things that I want to focus on. And if it's not a game that I'm into, I don't have to worry about it. Thank you both. Now, the first topic on our agenda for today are the results of the listener poll. We had asked whether there was enough room in the crowded market for another 28mm skirmish game, and the overwhelming response was positive, though with some qualification. 60% of the voters said yes, if it brings something new with 20% with maybe, if it's good enough to survive. So that's good news for the Drowned Earth, who, which we discussed a, a little while ago. Bad news for our wallets. So what do you think, Terry? Are you, uh, are you up for another 28mm skirmish game? Um, I I have a thing for them. I collect them. <laughs> um, when it comes to 28mm skirmish games, I'm playing... So I signed up for Dark Age Build and Play, so that's going to be on my list now. Um. I play Malifaux, uh, I play Wrath of Kings, I play um, a game called Bushido by GCT Studios, which is a skirmish game set in, in like an Asian setting. Um, I'm always up for skirmish games. I, you know, I play Strange Aeons as well. Like these are games that for me, it's it's not so much the like when I buy a skirmish game, I'm not looking for as big an investment or as big a return on those investments because you don't need that many models, right? So yeah. yeah, it's a little more challenging. I guess it's easier because I'm enabled because I have a, you know a partner who plays games with me um, on our dining room table. Um, but it's so much easier for me to get into a skirmish game, play it a couple times, like the models, enjoy painting them, collect a little more here and there and play with him. And that's kind of the scale of our game. And I think it opens up the door for designers and publishers who want to bring something, uh, you know, even as your listeners said, new and interesting into the world of tabletop. Um, Cause you don't need as much um, 
initial investment. You don't have to have that high cost because, again, you know, you only need so many sculpts and you only need so many um, miniatures and you don't need to produce a huge amount. So you can conceivably do it, you know, as as 3D printing comes down, as as home casting becomes more of a thing. You know, you can do these things. Um, and I think that's really interesting for me is I'm looking forward to seeing these 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 kind of cottage cottage industry games come up again because I I think there's so much room in the market for this now the same way that like you know there are a million indie published RPGs out there because it doesn't take much to do it but people love them and they're niche and they're cool and then yeah I, I could do with with more of that All right, you ask you up for playing another game of course you know I am <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think I'm the same you know very open-minded, very agnostic about the game systems we play. I mean, yeah. we love Strange Aeons. It's such a good yeah. game. Yeah, it's uh, amazing. We should play it again. We've actually. still got so many games that we haven't yet played, games uh, that we want to revisit. Well, that, that's going back to uh, the, the point that we mentioned before, Terry, about mm-hmm. it's just that buying stuff kind of. Well, that's why we've got a loft for it. <laughs> but it's funny because it's just like with the skirmish games. Like, so I backed the uh, Through the Breach Kickstarter um, or into... Oh, the other side, sorry, uh, from from Malifaux um, and Weird. And I'm looking at the skills. There's a lot of minis involved in that game. But, like, if I get ten, you know, five, ten mini games where I only need to pay five, ten, and I'm ready to play, I'm, I'm so happy. Because, like, there is a circle that the loop is really small. So to, to close that loop, it's it's not much. Um, yeah. Painting five miniatures is not that hard. And so... You know, you get the full fulfillment of that purchase if you only paint five minis. I'm, I'm all for that kind of achievement. I love that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No. It's interesting to to see that. I thought perhaps it might be negative this poll that people would be like, no, there's enough around already. So it was quite nice to see actually that no, there's only one person that uh, really thought that. So. <laughs> A lot of gamers have been accustomed to the idea of Games Workshop sucking up all the air in the room for so long that they're excited for something new. Yeah. And we're all moving away from that now as a reaction. Like, the pendulum is swinging the other way. So Now, one very helpful comment on the uh, blog was from Zeph, who asked if we might move our polls so that it wouldn't require you to sign in to be able to, to actually take part in that. So that seems like a pretty good idea. So we'll certainly look into moving that. So thanks to Zeph for, for giving us that suggestion. Now, in terms of what we've been up to in the world of gaming and beyond, Oscar, what's been taking your hobby time over the past month or so? Well, I would say school, but we all know that's you a lie. You always <laughs> say that. <laughs> um, recently, we've been pretty lazy. I mean, um, in gaming, the majority of our time's been D&D. It has. Um, you know, most Fridays we try and get into that. We do that for hours. It seems like we're just doing it for a couple of minutes. But, but it's actually <laughs> like eight hours. We do it for eight <laughs> hours at a time. It's, it, it's such a fantastic game. So, hey, it's one o'clock in the morning. We should all probably go home. <laughs> um, other than that, I've... <sighs> well, you've been um, to see Logan. Logan, I... Yeah, I just Would saw... you recommend it? Oh, um, yes. Um, I am uh, not a massive fan of Marvel. Um, I... See, one of my favourite aspects of Marvel, if I'm going to say a film series that I like, is the X-Men series. I do like them. Uh, Wolverine and Origins... Anything with Patrick Stewart in has to be good. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> um, uh, Wolverine's Origins, you know, that was kind of like a... Eh. Film. But th- this film is great. If, so you didn't have Patrick Stewart in? Yeah, it's like... <laughs> if, all, um, if all X-Men films were like... It, it just seems it's a lot more real, and it's like... it. You know, yeah. it's real. It's 
not going to be... I don't want to say too much, obviously, but um, yeah. don't go in there with a positive attitude. Oh, and I guess the other thing we've been watching is The Whispers. Oh, my God. Have you have you seen this? Do you get this in uh, in Canada, Terry? No, no. Well, I don't have cable either, right? So, like, I... I you know, I rely most of my most of my uh, content consumption comes from Netflix um, and YouTube. Uh, it's it's definitely worth a, a watch, especially yeah. having had young children. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. yeah, it definitely it, watch it. It's good, yeah, really good. Speaking I mean, of Netflix, we did a lot of sort of just binge watching of that. Didn't we? Oh, we did. I yeah. was ill for a couple of days, so I just binge watched. Yeah, and then and then at the end of it, it was just like, right, where's season two? What? There isn't a season two. <laughs> yeah, we have to. No! Wait. Speaking of season two and Netflix shows, uh, Stranger Things season two has been announced. Oh, yes. And oh, it looks so, good. so stoked. Halloween, though, so we have stoked. to wait so long. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, and Walking Dead isn't going to take us all that way, is it? No. No. <laughs> so we just we do need to find some other shows, don't we? We do. We do. But no, no, we can't get dragged in because it's going to be more. <laughs> we've got Iron Fist coming up, though. Okay, so I, I'm not a, I'm not a Marvel person. Uh, I'm through and through DC, uh, so I'm relying on between movies and like Netflix shows. But I do love the Netflix shows that have been coming out um, from the Marvel Defenders universe, which is interesting. Um, so that's going to be really interesting because uh, Iron Fist is coming out what like in a couple months. Um, so I, I think that's going to be some some binge worthy watching um, <laughs> to help tide you over at least. We'll have to look out for that. Yeah. Okay, Nicole, what about you? Well, my weekend hobby, unfortunately, is not super exciting at the moment because my other line, my my day job, so to speak, is I cover uh, cars and I have traveled all month for the month of February. So my weekend hobby has been the lamest of weekend hobbies where I've just been playing games on my phone to try to get my fix um, and playing with the kids. Uh, for me, when I can squeeze in something gaming, sometimes it truly just means playing word chums with my daughter as she's going out the door to school and I'm sitting in an airport. Uh, so that was about the extent of my week and hobby for the last several weeks, unfortunately. Yeah, my uh, my week has also involved some car-related stuff as we have a 2007 Mitsubishi Outlander, which is, it's done a lot. It's done 213,000 miles and it's starting to feel it. So we decided to get a lease on a Seat Attica. Okay. So this is Seat's new 4x4 SUV kind of mini thing. But it has like a one-litre, three-cylinder turbocharged engine, which is a (laughs) tiny, tiny little engine for a car that big. So I'm quite intrigued by it. But we got it through its MOT, which cost a horrible amount of money because we need it for the trade-in, right? Right. And as they were driving off the ramp, the radiator burst. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So cars are. I love cars. I love. I'm a big fan. I used to have a, a business with a couple of friends actually who used to do old cars and stuff. At the moment, they're just right at the bottom of my list. But but anyway, not gaming related. <laughs> <laughs> and Terry, what's your spare time been filled with apart from cars and non hobby things? <laughs> um. I am getting ready for Adepticon, so there is a lot of uh. frantic, mad painting. Um, so uh, I'm registered in events. Uh, so I'm, I'm the Achievement League for uh, Malifaux, so I'm kind of picking up uh, pickup games um, for for that game. Uh, and I've also signed up for the Iron Arena in War Machine, but people don't really paint a lot of War Machine, so that's like my third priority, and I'm uh, getting my Wrath of Kings built as well. Um, so, you know, I, I 
get to these conventions and I always hate myself as I lead up to it, like just trying to get things painted. Um, I also signed up for a build and play, which kind of takes off a little bit of that stress. Uh, I'll be playing Dark Age at Adepticon. So yeah, I've, I've been getting a lot of, um, boards and bases, uh, done. I, you know, if you follow me on Instagram, you can see all the things I'm playing with. Uh, I picked up, um, some happy seppuku base stamps, um, and so I'm really excited to to get those rolling on on my bases and and yeah just just getting stuff done like the feeling of achievement. <laughs> yeah, I, I must admit I'm in the same uh, boat with with sort of getting painting done for tournaments. It's always my best intent when I see other people's fleets in Firestorm or see 28 millimeters that are on the table and think those look really good. I should really just put some effort in for next year. I'll start now uh, when I go home and I start and then I leave it about 11 months and two weeks. <laughs> and then I have a, a massive two week panic of like, oh my God, I want to feel this, but actually none of it's painted. But that's because your starting is when you buy those boxes, right? <laughs> and yeah. it feels really good. It's like the best part of of hobbying is that feeling of like, uh, you know, that aspirational purchase. Yeah. Um, I, I do a lot of aspirational packing. Like whenever I go on a trip, um, <laughs> I'll always pack some miniatures and some paints. Never. I ne- I've yet to touch them. Um, I know the but, feeling. A lot of my but, minis yeah. have been a lot of, they've done a lot of traveling. <laughs> They're probably some <laughs> of the best traveled minis in the world. <laughs> Uh, I mean, this this last week I've been, um, well, the last month really, because we haven't podcast for a while, I was over in our big European commercial meeting in Gothenburg, Sweden. I don't know why we chose Gothenburg, but we had like 700 salespeople turn up for this thing. And I packed a couple of books and stuff. Uh, yeah, I didn't even get them out of my bag. So in terms of aspirational, it was very theoretical aspiration. So I haven't really done anything other than playing our fifth edition D&D group. So they've mm. just just finished the Horde of the Dragon Queen, which was a very thematic and cinematic end to the, the the whole book. And that's probably where I've done most of my painting, but also been doing a lot of 3D printing to support that. D&D people seem to have different expectations with minis, so you can put out some stuff which you, you know, took to a gaming convention, they would throw it away. And actually, those <laughs> D&D people are really happy with it, so that's always a nice thing for people to be uh, happy, you know, and see that first flush of uh, yeah. inspiration from people rather than that jaded kind of you know oh, that's a pile of crap it's interesting because it's like the terrain has moved away from wargaming because D Deers love terrain and they are good at it um but but the miniature side still kind of languishes in in that that world um yeah at least in my in my kind of general observations yeah and my uh, i sort of started off i started in gaming when i was a kid uh, and I sort of went away mm. to university and found girls and drink and all that sort of stuff and came back to it. But, but I came back to it through modeling. And you go mm. to model conventions and those guys are just like unbelievably good. And, you know, dioramas oh. that just like yeah. look like snapshots of the past, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm always in awe of those guys. But, yeah, you're right. I think it has gone a, gone a little bit from gaming. And I think that's one of the things that really appealed to me was seeing that whole tableau laid out. You know, the armies waiting to face each other, you know, with this mm-hmm. great terrain. But um, but still, we can we can hope to bring a little bit more of that into our hobby. I feel always, always. I mean, I the one of the my main complaints with War Machine now is how people are like loving mouse pad terrain, where where there are companies out there printing terrain on mouse pads that says like forest and like like a picture of forest, but people don't. The the game is so precise. There's no room to have like 3D terrain or hills or anything. Like it it. 
it drives me bananas. Wait, this is a real thing? So it's literally this, just a, like like a placeholder. This is a forest. No, no. Water this is is, a, yeah, uh, War Machine, the game is so precise. And right. the guys who play are so competitive right. that at the highest levels, when they put down a forest, it's like a mouse pad or a hill. It is a mouse pad that is cut in the shape of a hill that they agree to having the, the characteristics of a hill so models on it get the benefits of being on a hill. But it's flat. Ah, uh, It hurts my heart. Oh, I don't like that at all because half the fun of it is getting to see all the terrain and trying to figure out, like, can you see over that and how tall is that? Absolutely. Oh, that's Absolutely. And I, I think that's one of the things I've consistently tried to resist um, or at least try to find ways around because, again, I understand the want for um, the precision of the game. I mean, like, there's the same reason why, like, X-Wing just doesn't have terrain on the boards in the same way, right? That game right. is a highly precise game, but there's got to be a way to make these tables look more than floors. Like I might as well, if I can play a miniature war game on a floor with nothing on it, why, why? Yeah. yeah. You've, you've all these beautiful minis and you're just going to play them on a flat, boring surface that doesn't really have any, any character to it. That takes half the fun of it. Exactly. Exactly. To me, you might as well just get a sheet of paper and, uh, you know, cut some tokens out. And, right. and move them around that, right? It's, <laughs> <laughs> we're not that far away from that and I think that's one of the, the that's one of the things that I'm really looking forward to seeing change in the culture of War Machine because I think that there's been a shift in privateer press um, and we can talk about that later because that, that shift has kind of gone into our, our topic of the day but I think that that right now um, when you focus on highly competitive uh, people the the hobby aspects fall away it's interesting, isn't it? Because board games have really gone in the exact opposite direction from things which were just tokens and occasionally, you know, the odd wooden or plastic piece to represent Colonel Mustard, for instance, to mm-hmm. now where you have board games which are almost a blur between mini and board games. Because actually, I mean, I've put, Oscar will tell you many times I've backed quite a few Kickstarters <laughs> again <laughs> with that uh, resin crack aspirational purchase sort of uh, hat on. And you just, you know, they're just crammed with minis. You know, and you think, even if you don't play the board game, this is a good investment. <laughs> Absolutely. I think I think uh, component quality has come up um, because people are craving something where they they have something that is a little more... Um, it's not just higher quality. It doesn't feel like Candyland, right? Like where you got a little paper spinner and like yeah. these little cardboard tokens. They want to feel grown up. And one of the ways to grow up a game is to have components in there that are highly realistic, detailed, and beautiful. Um, I think we have another topic for a, uh, a future episode there. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, exciting. Okay, so let's move on. Now, we didn't do Hit or Miss last time as it was a short monologue episode and releases have been fairly slow at the beginning of the year. But it's starting to ramp up a bit now, so we can have a bit more discussion over some of the highlights here. First off, we start off with our old favourite Games Workshop, how I've been putting out quite a few things on the 40k Eldar of late. Now, there are a few rumblings and rumours that Games Workshop are setting up for a 40k Age of Sigmar-style End Times reboot of the 40k universe, but I think we're a ways off from that kind of thing just at the moment, so let's just get into the plastic. First off, we have the Eldar in The Gathering Storm, and we're going to look at the Triumvirate of Yenid, which sounds like something from a Monty Python film, but it <laughs> is actually three minis, as you might expect from a Triumvirate, 
They are cited as being extremely dangerous in their own right, marshalling their strength as one. They have the power to alter the fate of the galaxy, blah de blah de blah So what you get are three Elder minis. Uh, and we're going to start with the one which looks like it's from a Disney episode. Uh, and I'm not quite sure, actually, what this one is called. But basically you have a mini surrounded by... What do you call that? Magic? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you go under 360, it does a nice little twirl for you. It looks very pretty. It has long hair. I think it is... I think it is female, so, you know, kudos to Games Workshop, as we don't have a, an obvious female mini. There you go. It's fairly androgynous, but then it's Eldar, so, you know, they all are. Holding a very long wraithbone sword up in the air. Actually, going off on that, you said very long. A lot of this miniature is very long, and the first thing that just hits yes. me is, it's going to break a lot. Now, <laughs> yeah, the first thing I will say on this mini before throwing this open to everybody is, it does suffer from the recent Games Workshop really? trend of, well, just of... As Oscar said, a lot of long things. Transporting these minis is going to be a nightmare. I, I mean, again, as, as a display item, fine. But will you ever be able to take it to a tournament in one piece? Nicole, Terry, what, what do you think? What's your take on the, the leaping leaping Eldar of magic? There's way too many, many fiddly bits. All those little bits are going to go off. There's like a horn sticking up in the air. There's a sword sticking up in the air. I can see all the little... What do we decide? That's magic? Is that what we've decided the blue swoosh is? The magic getting Let's stuck call little, it magic. Yeah. Call it magic. I can see the magic getting stuck to the foam in your transport case, and then you take out that, take out all your other minis, and you have... I don't like this. It's yeah. going to be a pain transport. <laughs> do you know what the problem with this... Like the Eldar is, I I think that this miniature didn't have enough bodily space for all the soul stones the sculptor wanted to put on that thing, <laughs> so they decided to add like five hundred percent more soul stones into the magic. Like this is what's crazy. There's soul stones in her freaking hair. I didn't even see that, and she said it. There's soul stones everywhere. Like everywhere. It's. Uh, uh, the Soulstone fetishist is like, uh, yeah. yeah. I think they've yeah. been told they can't sculpt uh, skulls. So they just replaced all of the skulls with yeah. Soulstone. So this, this is the Eldar. They don't do skulls. The skulls are the remit of the Imperium and of Chaos. Uh, the Eldar, it's it's pretty little gems. Put your Soulstones on. You need to get your Soulstone um, minimum on, right? Like, you you have you have your Soulstone um Quota you've got to fill with every miniature, and apparently with this miniature it was like seventy-five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they filled the weeks quota with this one. See, the wow. thing is, they've got enough on just her actually, because she's got one on her leg, she's got two on her arm, one on her in her chest. It's like that's and that's only the ones from the front view. I mean, yeah. why bother putting them all in the magic? But um, oh, apparently, it's a roaring psychic hurricane. I'm just oh. going to refer to it as magic. I think magic. <laughs> I mean, magic sounds nicer. It does. Um, uh, and just, I mean, to Nicole's point on the magic, um, I mean, just look at the base the, where the, the magic happens, as it were. Um, <laughs> you've got some tiny bits, and they're, they're held on by pieces of plastic, which are going to be, what, a millimetre? Tiny bits held on by other tiny bits. Uh, it's just, it's going to be a nightmare. I mean, for one, I hate sculpted on magic, or fire, or, you know, whatever this is. Anyway... Uh, because it never really looks like what it's supposed to look like. It'll airbrush nicely, but, oh, yeah. but then you have to paint the rest of it. <laughs> to, to give it a good point, um, it doesn't suffer from what Games Workshop do quite a lot, is it has a nice sense of movement to it, quite oh, a bit of it. But I think you could get rid of all of that psychicness 
uh, have her on the base. I mean, she's going to be difficult to not break off um, on the ball of her foot or something, but I'm sure you could get around that, you know, have her hair touching as well. And then you could actually look at the mini, because at the moment I'm not really looking at the mini, I'm looking at all the other stuff that's happening. That could be the paint, though. But, I mean, I I think that ultimately this is like a a forward-looking miniature in that when Games Workshop does release its 40k Age of Sigmar, this is just going to be a showpiece you're going to put on your shelf anyway, so they're moving in that direction for you. Yeah, maybe so. (laughs) So, okay, let's move on to the second, then, who is, well, (laughs) (laughs) moving back to the the former canoness, whatever, from the Sisters of Battle, she kind of reminds me of that, but she has elaborate uh, spike hair accessory and cat uh, she reminds. Actually, when I first saw saw this, I thought she would be an ideal miniature for the June m- movie. The like old, I thought um, it looked quite Egyptian, kind of the cat as well. But maybe it's just the spiker and the cat. Where are her shoes? She's in her bare feet with like this little thing. Just oh, I thought leg. that was a heel. Oh, yeah, I didn't no. notice that. <laughs> I mean, her hair has soul stones, so I guess yay. It suffers from every problematic issue that Games Workshop has with its particular fetishization of a theme. Actually, there isn't a skull on there. Yeah, but it's Eldar, right? So you don't need skulls if you're doing Eldar. You need soul stones. And everywhere. everywhere. Again, we have soul stones in her freaking hair. We have soul stones on her headpiece. We have soul stones just hanging on her. How afraid of Zinch are you? Or not Zinch, um, freaking... Uh, uh, Slanesh. Um, like, you know, you, you, you have soul stones everywhere. It's, and then you don't have shoes. Like, (laughs) (laughs) there's this weird disconnect in this model that's just like, why? You know what it's like, Terry? You spent all your time putting on all your soul stones and then you go out the door and realize, like, you know what? I spent so much time doing that. I forgot to put shoes on just as I went out. Let me tell you, you look at what you're wearing and take off one accessory. She chose shoes. I don't need these. Keep everything else. (laughs) Yeah. But but she kept the fan because that's essential. Right. Well, it's hot, right? It's hot. But I mean, I think the, the crazy thing is the belt that holds all of those soul stones is not a functional belt. No, it's just, like, decorative. It's... <laughs> it's just hanging from her hips. It's, it's uh, This model is hilarious. I mean, the cat doesn't have soul stones, though. What about the cat souls? Do you I, not I care? I, I was looking. I was looking. I think it might have one on its collar, but it's hidden oh, by it's beard. So. <laughs> I'm just trying to rotate it to a position where I can oh, actually... Go. Can we see? There is one. I think that is a soul stone. I think it's got a purple Oh, my God. Stone. Oh, it totally yep. is one. Yeah, it does. Yep. Or it's color? <laughs> so much color? Well, I guess. Like, oh, why? Yeah. I, I just... Re- this left me speechless when I first saw it. I, I, I'm not quite sure what the, the sculptor was doing. When I saw it from far away, I thought it could look like something reasonably cool. Oh, no, yeah. I was looking at a different one. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's move on to the, the final model of the Triumvirate. Yeah, um, this is who I was looking at. Who is obviously Eldar. So he has the standard uh, Eldar armour. He's got his big race sword kind of thing. He's got the off-the-cuff plumed cloak. So a little bit of fur. Oh God, look how many and if you were in any doubt, he is also weighted down with about a hundred soul stones. It's just when you turned it round and you can look at the back of his fluff and look how much... Oh oh, how many there yeah. are. It has the to... useless belt of soul stones, the belt that is just there to sling about his hips, but just holds it. That's all it does. 
It's this season's latest thing in, in Eldar fashion circles. <laughs> like, why does the fur, like, you know, I, this is, I don't know what what the sculptors are are doing anymore. Like, I I thought bat nipples were bad on the, like, the redo on, on the, uh, the wood elves back in the day, like, freaking ten years ago or whatever. But this is just. Oh, man. Soulstones and faces seem to be in, because he's got faces on his knees, all around his belt, on his shoulders. He does. His codpiece is a face which looks like it's astonished about the number of soulstones that it's carrying. Well, it has a soulstone in its forehead, too. Like, it's... Yeah. It's like, it looks, the mouth looks like there was supposed to be a soul stone in it, but it just fell out. It's okay, he's got extras. He's got extras, yeah. All around his belt, he can just shove one there. Oh my god. <laughs> It's like these sculptors need to calm down a bit. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah. Well, I mean, and this can be this triumvirate can be yours for only forty-five pounds, which is you know just such a bargain—fifteen pounds for each one of these. Um, so let, let's cut to the chase. Hit or miss, Oscar. Well, to be honest, fifteen pounds for all of those soul stones. I mean, that's a pretty good deal. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I think you know what I'm going to say. It's a it's a miss from me. Yeah, it, it's a miss from me. How about yourselves, Terry and Nicole? I would say it's a miss. Swing and a miss. This is just heinous. Games Workshop. Like, oh, heinous. Okay, well, we do have a, a couple more Games Workshop areas we're going to look at uh, before we move on. And next is the Death World Forest. <laughs> So we talked about terrain and not having enough terrain on the battlefield previously. So Games Workshop thought they would uh, give us some Eldar-themed Deathworld forest to look at. I said I wanted terrain. This is just, um, hurts me. So it's £80, which is a substantial amount of money, for some broken Eldar kind of rune things with, well, Deathworld plants. Let's call them that, um, because I'm not quite sure how else to describe them. (laughs) Terry, Nicole, what, 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 what's your initial impressions? Okay, um, so I, I, I pulled it up. And honestly, I think this is the nicest 80-pound aquarium terrain <laughs> I have ever seen. Like, honestly, guys. <laughs> you're, you're right. I, I didn't think of that, but you're absolutely right. I was thinking of something, and that that's what it was. I just... <laughs> <laughs> I, just <laughs> I, I yeah, man, my fish would live pretty luxuriously in a tank with these, but holy smokes, it looks... I feel like, yeah, that that this is aquarium terrain. Nemo would be right at home. Yeah, right? Right? He would love this. <laughs> to, to be honest, when I when I first saw this, I thought that the site had been hijacked. Because uh, <laughs> I thought there's no way that that could be real. And it's like, no, it is. And then you realise you're on Games Workshop. And it's 80 pounds. 80 pounds coral? I don't understand at all. I'm confused. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know where Games Workshop are coming from with this because, I mean, people can make some pretty nice terrain and it doesn't cost much. Uh, you could make this kind of stuff quite cost-effectively. Nobody would want to. Uh, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it, it's just very static. It's It's not very inventive it's pretty horrible for me it quite it reminds me actually um of uh skull monkeys the ps1 game the background in yeah (laughs) yes yes which and that was a good game that was a fantastic game (laughs) yeah but i don't want it on my table (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
I think you said it right first time. The only place that this kind of belongs is underwater, just gone away. <laughs> yeah, not necessarily an aquarium, just just underwater. <laughs> Chuck it in the ocean. <laughs> I think that's what we need to say about the Death World Forest. Uh, uh, anybody object if we just call this a huge miss? No, yes, yeah. total no. miss, total okay. miss, total miss. Good, good. We'll move on. Next, we have a model which bridges the worlds of Age of Sigmar and 40k because that's what we want but actually i'm gonna put a hit on this before we even start because Ooh. this is kairos fate weaver who is one of my favorite characters from the 40k universe is this a remake of an old of the old one uh now i don't know how new or old this is they do have a cinch demon that this is obviously a, a multi-kit from which is actually i think the same same amount of money Scans £70, single figure. Obviously, this is a large display piece. And he represents Kairos, who was the Lord of Change, who was thrown into the Well of Infinity or Vortex or whatever. I can't remember the exact fluff. And one of his heads was split, and one can see the future and one can see the past. And it's just a very cool kind of concept. So I actually quite I love it in terms of the concept before we start. And I don't think, although this is a pretty heavily fetished model, it kind of suits this particular character so yeah but when you're when you are pledged to a god you know yeah. it makes sense you know you that is your fetish like i i don't i don't mind the over fetishization i think the model is beautiful um and i think that for its price like when you compare it to uh, the death forest or whatever yeah i mean this is the quality of this and this isn't gw plastic or is this resin this is gw plastic Oh my gosh, yeah. Like, I, I've worked with a lot, of, a lot of other games, and I, even when it comes to like beautiful sculpts, there are other games that have as beautiful sculpts. There is no company that can have a kit, like, go together quite as beautiful, like, these detailed kits as Games Workshop. When they say they're the best in the business, when it comes to that, they're unparalleled. And, you know, this kit is not the, the, the Forge World equivalent to that sort of thing would be many more pieces, much more challenging to build. I can trust that the sprues on this are, are beautiful as well, right? So, Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not sure whether I would actually use it in, in a game. Um, mm-hmm. although, well, I might at home, but again, transporting this, it's not too bad because it looks pretty solid. Uh, it doesn't have too many sticking out bits. Its arm is the outstretched, wings. the wings, yeah. But then for a model of this kind of, you know, stature and for what it brings to the game, you would probably have a dedicated, you know, little box mm. for him alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in that respect, it's not too bad. I like him. Oscar? Uh, yeah, as the actual model is, is very, very nice. I really like him. All the good points have been said. <laughs> it's pretty much, yeah, everything is said here is true. It's very, very nicely done. I, I can't say I like the little gold bits on his feathers, but that's a minor thing, isn't it? Yeah, and I think the standard Lord of Change doesn't have those, so you could always do a, a wing swap. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, no, I've always liked the Demons of Chaos, so this is pretty much perfect, yeah. But I, I like it a lot. Nicole, any are you a forty k or Age of Sigma player? I like. I think this is a great model. I actually really like it. I don't like the eye on his belt that bothers me for some reason. Because I really like. Cool, straightforward hits. I think Games Workshop just pulling up there from a, a triumvirate of misses, which would have been bad. <laughs> um, but, but 
That would have nicely fitted thematically with the old art at the, yeah, the but start, but you know, we can't have everything. Okay, let's move on then to Forge World. We did feature the Custard Legion <laughs> and their wonderful Grav Tank previously. This is basically an adaptation of that kit, which is a Grav Carrier for the Custard Legion. So it is Forge World price, it is £110, and for that you get this big resin chunk to transport your Custard Legion around. So we talked about the first one, and we ke- we liked it, didn't we? We uh, It was an alright yeah. model. Yeah. It's not a bad model. It's quite nice. The design is quite sleek. It's not overdone, so it's like not crammed full of stuff. Um, so I, I quite like this again. It's a like, nice variant. The only thing that bothers me really is the four-drilled price, but that's kind of with everything. Yeah, I, I would agree. Like £110 think, for one tank. I think this looks pretty cool. It's very Flash Gordon. It's kind of, uh, you know, quite... Quite retro sci-fi, and I think it's a much more balanced kit than the the tank with the big lasers that we had before. So, uh, and again, whoever does Forge World's red painting on vehicles, it just looks oh, gorgeous. Stunning! It's stunning. Um, I'm going to put a prediction on this tank, and I think there are going to be many, many people buying this tank from Chinese forgers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would be on board with that prediction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think we can say much more, really, can we? It's it, it's very nice. It's nice and it's expensive, so that's yeah. that's what it is, right? <laughs> and they've painted it to represent that red and gold, so yeah. it feels like yeah. luxury. Yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> you just get the grey plastic, uh, well, grey resin when you get it. But hey, okay. So uh, hit. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. So now we're going to take a bit of a new turn, and look at some minis from a company we've not covered in Hit or Miss before, and that is Mantic Games. I mentioned Mantic both on the last episode and on my blog, and they've recently released their aquatic faction for Kings of War. And as we're dealing with the Aquans in Firestorm soon, it seemed fitting to cover them here. So let's have a look at the Trident Realm of Neretica. So the Trident Realm composes of lots of different things. So we look at the Megaforce, because that covers most of it. One of the favourite bits for me are they have octopus men, mm-hmm. frog dudes, who would make great bullywugs, and they also have crabs. Ooh, big armoured crab, crab yeah. guys. They also have some kind of generic sort of man from Atlantis sort of guys who I'm just like, yeah, eh, well, whatever. Mm. <laughs> The octopus guys look so much like old school gene stealers to me, if not for like that that front fringe, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like the lictor mixed with the uh with the gene stealer almost. Like it it that's what I'm reminded of immediately. Um I don't know if it's the painting on some of these minis or if it's the sculpts that remind me of like some of the older kits from Games Workshop. You know? Yes. And I, I, that's, that's, that's my impression on it. Like, um, and, and I, again, I, I wish I knew where that was. I mean, you know, for all I know, Mantic Games is hiring a lot of those sculptors to do these things as well. Um, so there is going to be that, that resemblance, but, but that's, that's kind of my impression on this. And I think that kind of goes with some of their, well, raison d'etre really is, yeah. You know, they got into this when Games Workshop kind of looked to torch their world, um, yeah. which kind of 
gifted Mantic this this universe. Yeah. They you know have this great thing where you say, well, play with whatever you have. We've also got these other models that come in. You know, you go from there. So perhaps that's deliberate. Perhaps it is a limitation mm-hmm. of the sculptors they have available. As I've mentioned before, I think some of the sculpts that Mantic puts out are really nice. Yeah. Some of them are a little bit off. Uh, I mean, to me, yeah, these... The, the fish men, yeah. sort of guys are like, eh. and again, like you say, I don't know whether it's the painting because I hate that paint job. Yeah. But then the, the crabs, you know, the crab guy things, whatever they they're are, s- I like those. You know, the, the way really their eyes stunning. are like, right down at the front of their faces. I love the um, crabs; they're great. You know, they're not. Just, I feel like the paint job crabs. is doing a lot of work for them too. Like I, I don't know how much of it is sculpted or how much of it was painted, but the the paint is doing a lot of work for this model as well. Like the whole thing works together. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I really don't like the men from Atlantis, but again, that could be the paint because the paint job is really not very nice. Yeah, I don't know what. Yeah, there's a there's a problem. They've there's tried to go for like coral, I think. Yeah, and this doesn't work. It doesn't no, they work. Have, they haven't taken it off. It reminds me of the very first XCOM Underwater. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. XCOM 2, <laughs> Terror from the Deep. Some of those guys in that. In the bad um, way. Yeah. yeah, yeah, in that kind of almost 8-bit <laughs> kind of graphics. <laughs> They're so... They, these guys kind of remind me of the kind of people who would be like, you know... Uh, in Futurama, that captain from the beige planet, like, <laughs> tell my wife hello. Like, like they're so, it, it's, the the coloring on them gives them nothing to pop. They just, and then I don't know, like, I don't know. I feel like the paint job really did a disservice to these. Because I'm looking, I'm also looking at the, uh, the, like, Ballista mini right now as well. And I'm like looking at the weird mermaids attached to the ballista, and I'm not loving that. It yeah. looks really weird to me. Like I just I don't know. There's some weird stuff happening on here that I'm just not I'm not loving. Yeah, uh, I mean, and again, is it the paint job or is it the sculpt? Because if you sculpted those, well, if you painted them in gold, so they're like it was yeah. uh, like an old wreck or something, uh, yeah. with like a skull on it that they'd mounted. Then that could mm. look good. Can I just point something out? This is yeah. Kings of War based on land. Yes. Uh, if those things are alive, then that's going to be on the floor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, I just assumed they were sort of um, you know static representations rather than actual living things. But maybe you're right. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's even worse. Oh my gosh! Just this little flapping oh. fishy. <laughs> just on the floor, just dead. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I'm I'm torn on this because I mean this is ninety nine pounds ninety nine. Yeah. Good value. So it's great value, but it's only great value if you love it, right? I'm just looking at the squid people. I like the heads, but I don't like the bodies. Yeah, like that's the thing. They look they look like this weird like hybrid of like some really cool lictors on the old gene stealer bodies that were just not very dynamic and like Oh yeah. Yeah, and I just like uh, yeah, I'm not a fan. It has the potential. Like, but... It looks like the way their hands are, you could put like a DJ stand in front of them and like <laughs> like that's the problem with the the creeper hands. It just doesn't it doesn't look dynamic. Like it looks dynamic, but it looks dynamic in a silly way rather than a yeah. than an interesting way. Yeah, the ones that have their sort of tentacles open kind of mm-hmm. look worse. You know, like you said the 
The best one, I think, is actually the one that has them all closed. Like you say, it looks like a lictor head. But its head's so um, big like, and disproportionate. Yeah. The one in the middle who's kneeling, that one looks cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did spot him, yeah. He you know, good. and all the rest of them, when they're, like, trying to look dynamic, it looks really strange. And it's just, like, I think that's that's the thing, is if they look so much more intimidating when they're not, like, I don't Trying know. to be intimidating. Trying to be intimidating. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, so it's a, this is a difficult one for me in terms of hit or miss because I know where they, I think it was a good idea and I think mm. they've got some good ideas in there. It's the execution of some of these. But I mean the, the you know these these frog guys I originally thought they were fish guys but they're frog guys. And mm-hmm. um, which doesn't make sense because the other guys are armored in coral and frogs and coral just they don't correlate. But these would make <laughs> I mean for D&D these would make great bullywogs. Uh, they yeah, I think there's some interesting things here, and I think you know if you were going into like the you know the Sword Coast Adventure stuff in D and D, this might be a really interesting kit for that as well, right? Like there there's some interesting pieces you could kind of introduce into a campaign set in that that realm, right? Yeah, because they also have in their range they've got a water elemental regiment, uh, which yeah. are three sort of. Well, water elementals, they, they look like waves. What else can you say about them? Um, <laughs> you know, and it can be difficult to, to sculpt. You know, we talked about sculpted fire and magic and all the rest. Oh, yes. It can be difficult to sculpt water to make it look anything like. Yeah, and they've mm. got like, uh, what's that, is it an octopus it's in there? Dolphins. Or fish or something. They've not done a bad job here. I quite like these water elementals. In fact, I'd have liked it better without this. I was going to say, but... take out the animals. <laughs> But the splashing at the bottom of them look, looks really good, actually. Yeah, it's not a bad job. So, um, you know, and again, like you say, for the Sword Coast or for D&D in general, you know, that would be mm. pretty good. Um, what else do they have? Oh, you can buy the well, Riverguard troop by themselves. So if you want some Bullywigs for D&D, there you go. Yeah. Those. Um, I wish I'd known that six <laughs> months ago before you went up into Castle Narrative and the whole... <laughs> no spoilers. That's the one we're running right now with Lang and Nathan. Oh, sorry. It's 2014. <laughs> it was released. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, you've just finished it, haven't you? We've just finished the Friday night. first book. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, we, Very... uh, we're 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 heading up there right now, actually. So, so I know about the castle, but nothing more than that. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, no, that gets... breather. Well, good. it's in a swamp. What do you expect? It's, uh... <laughs> So, how are you finding it? How are you finding the the trek north? Um, it's interesting because it's Nathan, myself, Maddie, and uh, one of our friends, uh, and with Lang running it as DM, and we don't have a healer. Um, Nathan's character is a necromancer, um, and I'm a barbarian half orc with an intelligence of eight. Uh, which has been really interesting. (laughs) Yeah, like, it's been been an interesting, um, role-playing experience. Like, it's, it's really funny. And I think that that's fun, but I think that, like, I have anticipation that we're gonna get really messed up. That, that, (laughs) Nathan's already prepped another character. (laughs) Cause he's like, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die, it's gonna happen. So. It sounds pretty similar to your party, actually. We've got a cleric who isn't a cleric. Our druid is more cleric-y than our yeah, cleric. Yeah, the, the cleric is a war priest. And he has no cleric spells. Yeah, uh, he turned his first undead only about three sessions ago. Yeah. <laughs> when we... There was, uh, yeah. And it didn't really work, did it? No, it didn't. 
So, yeah, our druid is actually a better healer than the cleric, isn't he? Yeah, but he doesn't actually fight, he just... Yeah. He oh, bear forms now uh, At one point you were relying on the bard for healing, which shows you how bad oh. it was. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyway, yeah, we digress, we digress. Totally understand. But, like, I, I don't know, in terms of this, this, like, in terms of this army, I, like, I, I honestly believe that when it comes to... I don't know what they're carrying... Like, I'm looking at the Naiad Patrol, and they are carrying something in their hands. I think it's supposed to be netting, but it's sculpted by someone who has never seen netting. I, I, I don't know. Fishnets? I, I don't know. Uh, I feel like the paint job has, has totally done a they disservice. They just look like squids. Oh, I think yeah, those are, I think those are towels. They're towels. Wet towels. towels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, they've just come out of the sea. It's hot. They just want to dry off. It's... Either that or they're, they've been reading The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah. Like, I, I think that there's, there's, there's interesting elements in this army. I think that these, the poor paint job has not done a service to these, these miniatures. Also, some of these miniatures are like metal plastic hybrids by the looks of it. Because uh, the product type, unless they're just full on individuals that are just cast in pewter and versus the plastic yeah. regiment set. I don't know. Yeah, so I think Mantic typically cast in plastic for the, the rank and file and yeah. then in pewter for the, the individual sort of leaders. So this guy, yeah. with, I'm just not sure what he's doing, actually. He's um, got a conch shell. It's, it's the magic conch shell. <gasps> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> All hail the magic conch. Oh. <laughs> okay, well, they're going to win then, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is a magic conch. Yeah. I um, that is not good painting. No. I hate the orange fin bits. The the, the painting gen- in general just it looks unfinished. Yeah, it looks like they need to do more to it. It looks like something like from fifteen fifteen years ago. Even heavy metal fifteen years ago is painting better than this, though. It's like just like <laughs> you know, like I just I I'm it's looking like the miniatures at aren't the, great. Well, I'm looking at the Worm Rider Centurion, right? And I'm looking at the scales. They're not even highlighted on the back. And there's no wash applied to the back. So the scales don't even pop. Like I was going to say, the, the snake yeah. things look terrible yeah, in that paint. They just, and it's just, it, there's, a, there's a failing on this. I wish I could, like, like if everything was painted as well as the crabs. Like, the crabs are the nicest thing. You know, maybe something would be different, right? Maybe if they had more more vibrant colors. Because when I think of the sea, I'm not thinking of these washed-out pastels as much as I am something vibrant. Um, no, this is like that really pretty thing you see in a rock pool and pull it out, and then when you pulled it out, it's sort of this blob. And mm. then you put it back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really, yeah. They've, they've yeah. painted the blob rather than the pretty thing in the rock pool, which I think is like, a mistake. <laughs> at the same time, if I was going to spend as much money, like, it, for, for the money... Um, it's so good. Like, if we're talking about stuff for an aquarium, or it looks like it came out of an aquarium, like, the value, this this beats out anything, um, you know, the, the Games Workshop Death Force, for sure. Like, there's stuff in here I would totally use. There's stuff that's interesting enough. It's not a, a super hit, but I, I, would, I wouldn't... I'd say the painting is a miss, but the concept and the sculpts are, 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 are quite good. Okay, so... What do you think, Oscar? Uh, well, it's almost <clears throat> like like you said, the paint job is poor. Um, I think this had the potential to be good, um, but they've just executed it very badly. And there's more points that I dislike about it than I like about it. So I'm gonna call it a miss. 
Yeah, so you give me the casting vote. I have. That's not something <laughs> I've already said is going to be difficult. Oh, thanks for that. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm kind of in the same camp because when I saw the advanced sort of renders of these, I was really quite excited. Mm. And I think you're right. The more I look at it, the more I dislike it, which is unfortunate. Uh, Just I think imagine the- them in grey, though. Like, that's the thing. Is like I downloaded one of the photos, and I desaturated and turned it black and white. And all of a sudden, I like them more. <laughs> that's a really good point, actually. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, you know, if I imagine them in grey plastic... They don't look terrible. And I just, I think that there's just the incohesiveness of the paint job as a whole for the army. And then, because yeah. like the River Guard looks very different than the Thule. And like, there's just, there's, it's a hot mess. But if you take out the colors and you look at the sculpts, there's interesting elements in there that I think, you know, I'm like, oh, I could totally, I could dig that. And Mantic makes them so cheap. It's ridiculous, right? Like the value all of a sudden becomes a factor. Yeah, I think um, that, that's a really good point. They've got the opposite Spartan problem. So Spartan always shows renders and not models, which is a mistake for their stuff, because yep. when it's painted, it looks really good. Uh, they've got the opposite, whereas actually they should have just shown renders. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, actually with that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to verge on a marginal hit for this. So we'll oh, give no. them the benefit of the doubt, uh, because I think you're right. I think in terms of value, I think if you pick and choose, uh, as you can do, because it gives you all of the items individually, then... Again, with your own paint job, uh, and not this this fudged sort of uh, mix. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, I think it's just scraping out scraping out a hit. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that was the Trident Realm. We have one more release from uh, Mantic here that I've put in especially for Oscar, <laughs> and that is a little. <laughs> I don't know what. To... No, a little montage called <laughs> Eeny Meeny Miny Mo. So. Those of you who have been listening before know that we're big Walking Dead fans. Terry, are you a Walking Dead fan? Have the comics. Never watch the show. Ah, okay. So, yeah, the, the episode where where Glenn was killed... Don't, was, don't even say that. ...was just... pretty traumatic. Uh, I mean, we, <laughs> afterwards, afterwards we just looked at each other, didn't we? Just there like, is a special place oh my in my God. heart for Glenn. Yeah, it's both one of our favourite characters. Uh, oh. Just gone. And here you have a little... Um, he was verging on being the same as Rick in yeah. terms of greatness. He was there since well, episode one. In some ways, he's more likeable than Rick. Yes. And here we have a little montage which has the group, and this is really done from the comics, so Mantic's uh, mm-hmm. yeah. comic franchise rather than mm-hmm. the, the the show, even though the show's uh, followed the comics, comics pretty, pretty well. Tightly. Yeah. I've seen the comic um, strip where Glenn's killed in a mm-hmm. And here accurate. you have Negan... <laughs> With uh, the the five uh, characters, and he's picking which one they're heading. Okay, so and it does come. The best bit about this, no, no, is you get two sculpts an alternate alternative head for Glenn, (laughs) 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 including the popped eye. Oh, it's so <laughs> Which good! Is is so horrible uh, and yet so good. Before <laughs> I just like talk about the models and everything, like this was pain for watching it. Why would I want a permanent cast of this pain? <laughs> yeah, there is. There, that's a good question actually, because this is just a little montage. It doesn't do anything in game. It's just no, it just brings back the hardship of watching <laughs> Glenn die. Yeah, and it is thirty four ninety nine. So I presume this is resin, um, which is quite a lot. Uh, for something that doesn't do anything, right? 
Yeah, but, but very, very memorable. Uh, I was going to say, as a piece, if you're going to paint this and present it, I can see this being at a show. Oh, you can see you this know, being painted done very well. meticulously. I mean, really, just really to nice. contextualize, the, you know, that box full of Aragorns they were selling for Lord of the Rings from Games Workshop was about that price, so, you know. Yeah, yeah. And that literally did nothing. Like, you could have every or Why? But like this is interesting. I think that this is one of those things where uh, it's a gift. I think it's one of those gifts you give to someone you kind of like, but you kind of like like to troll, <laughs> and <laughs> and you paint it up for them and you give them the gift. Like I think it's I think it's lovely. I think the the these are all they look like renders though. I don't. I'm yeah, having a hard time looking at like maybe the the featured image at the top. No, I, it feels like that's a render, too. Um, so when they had their new page, I seem to recall seeing somewhere... Maybe it's, Here we go. So there's a painted on their homepage. Oh, okay. There is a painted version of this. Glenn's still alive in that one. <laughs> oh! They didn't use the optional head. Yeah, totally. It's lovely. I think it's cool. It's very cool. It's your birthday coming up. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's a gift. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Negan is a hit, right? <laughs> it's a hit. Well, it was certainly a hit on something. <laughs> so I should also say, Terry, that I did make Oscar a Negan bat, a Lucille for Christmas. <laughs> yes. <laughs> With blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my wife was like, what are you making? I'm like, it's a present for Oscar. She said, that's horrible. <laughs> I opened it and you straight away. And mum was like, but he'll love it. <laughs> It, it does have fake barbed wire, by the way. It's just for anybody who's worried out there. <laughs> it's not real. <laughs> okay, so what do you think, Terry? Hit, miss? I, I think it's a hit. I think it's a hit. I think the concept is, is painful, and I get that. But I think I think the execution is definitely a hit. Yeah, no, same for me. It's yeah. like, it's very well done. Uh, I think it's a hit. Oh, I think it's sad. Rip Glenn. It is, definitely. It, it is a gift thing. No, it's Either not. to yourself or to somebody else. But if you give me that and throw away <laughs> one of the heads of for Glenn, <laughs> well, I know the, you. I just put the dead one on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Mantic get overall complete overall, hits. Yeah. So not bad for our first entry there for <clears throat> Mantic. Now let's move on to Spartan Games. We've got releases for Firestorm, Halo, and Dystopian Wars. We're just going to cover Firestorm here with the Daedalus Space Station release. Oh. <laughs> So, oh, Terry, like, give us your uh, appraisal of this, then, Terry. Are you, do you still play Firestorm? I see, and I, so I, I paint a little. I just, I, the game has lost a lot of its magic for me. Um, mostly because they're not supporting it anymore for the most part. Like, you know, um, I just, I don't know. I'm not. Is this supposed to be like? Is this a game piece? Uh, well, this is a very big piece because this is a hundred millimeter square base. So this is a big, big station. I mean, for me, uh, aside from yeah. my opinion of Spartan Games uh, at the moment, which probably isn't great. Yeah, it's. I love. I absolutely love these little uh, fold space gates. I wish they would release those I like, separately. I like yeah, fold space but the space station just is. It's just kind of meh. It's well. What am I going to use it, it for? Spar- Spartan will never release rules for this. Mm-hmm. No. So yeah. it's just going to be a big white elephant sitting there. And yeah, you can use it in whatever space game. You but could the thing use is, it in X-wing. You could use it in Halo. You could use it in Drop Fleet. Yeah, but why would I when I can get a nicer space station? But well, and this is the point actually that I wanted to bring out is why would I buy this? Because it's not cheap. 
you know, this oh. is £27 yeah, you can um, when I could buy from one of Spartan's now main competitors, Hawk, Hawk War Games, mm. their space station pack, which really apparently nice. is amazing. I it has seen a lot of, of sprues and you can make an incredible amount of stuff and you can make it however you want. It's a multi-part kit, plastic injection moulded, so you can customise the hell out of it and use your normal glue, you know, hobby knife and go nuts uh, I've seen one that used all three sprues that you get in the set with a big piece of foam and made this huge asteroid base which looks super I was cool say, we, I actually saw some of the um, some of the first plastic models they did of these before it was released at a, mm-hmm. at a place we went to last year and um, I was looking at them and there was one that stood out for me which was kind of, looked like kind of like Cloud City uh, the Cloud City yep. out of Star Wars yep. just absolutely beautifully uh, done just Really nice. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I must I must mention Sean Sainz here. Uh, he showed me, uh, he had a quick discussion on Facebook about this because he was one of the backers. Uh, so we got a Kickstarter pack, so he had advanced copies of this, uh, of the Space Station Sprue. And he just said it's great. You know, there's, there's loads of different bits. You can just go nuts with it. I've seen people make all kinds of different stations that still have bits left over. Which you, know, you can make other stuff out of. And you can incorporate the bits from your kits because they're all injection molded, your main spaceship. So you can customize it so that it's UCM or, you know, it's PHR, that it looks Scourge, which is fantastic. So why then am I going to buy this? So I just think they've produced a model for a market that doesn't exist. And I must admit, the model itself, I'm not that keen on because it looks like it's got pieces here in the middle, supporting these two balls, and above it, they look like they're going to be acrylic. Yeah, and no, Spartan I was thinking the same thing. doesn't do acrylic well. No, they look disgusting. It just looks flat and lifeless. So I, I, I just don't understand why they've done this, when they have so much they could have done for Firestorm. They have factions which still don't have models. Which is sad. So, yeah, why? I just don't see the reason for doing this. It's a big white elephant for me. It's, it's, I think that's one of the more frustrating things. Like, it is, it is a frustrating thing to see something like this come out without rules. And there are miniatures that have rules that nothing has come out. I don't, I don't get it. I just, I I don't get it. Why spend design time on this when they could have spent design time on Pathogen, which, you know, okay, you can can kitbash that, but it would be great to have you know, standard pathogen ships that then you can kitbash the captured stuff as well. But the thing is, it's like... That's how I designed it. Sorry. Sorry, Oh, my God. How I designed it for Spartan. Um, But that was exactly it. Pathogen has such a massive... um, uh, Following. Huge. There's a Following, yeah, following. And um, just the possibilities with making something for pathogen is insane. Insane. And I think that's the interesting thing is like Nathan's got a pathogen fleet that he adores, right? Just it's there's nothing there that can support that. And I I think that's what's really frustrating is, yeah, this is this in concept is not great. No, I really feel for the people, you know, who well, not pathogen. I mean, at least pathogen you can kit bash anyway. Yeah. But if if you've got a fleet of this stuff, they haven't made. If you've yeah, if you want a Corsair's fleet, you're reliant on the old Corsair's model that they did for the cruiser and the pewter frigates uh, they're still available as the the buy you know individual ships one which is an incredibly expensive option but that's all there is mm. you know why there is nothing for the stl traders at all mm-hmm. although actually drop fleet models work really well for that <laughs> you know they're not producing models when a major competitor 
in the same country as them is making a space game with great models and great support. I mean, commercially, that just seems like suicide to me. Yep. When, it's and just this like, is not going to say They're not doing anything. What they're doing is kind of just like, okay, yeah, no, we're after you. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredibly frustrating because Firestorm is such a solid rule set. We read, yeah, it was really good. Yeah. So Absolutely. I'm afraid, Oscar? Miss from me. Terry? Total miss. Yeah, from a huge, enormous, yawning chasm of a miss. All right, we know how you feel about Spartans, okay? <laughs> it's, it is just... I mean, it was enormously frustrating working with Neil at the time. Yeah. It, it's just as frustrating seeing them do this sort of stuff afterwards. Yeah. Last we have Hawk War Games, who don't, strictly speaking, actually have any new products out, but they do have a new revamped website, which now features all of the Drop Fleet products available for purchase direct from them, if you've not already found them elsewhere. So this has been a while coming, but it's nice to see it's all done now after their Kickstarter delivery issues, which I think are finally now done. Right then, let's get right into our main topic for today, which I've slightly mischievously called Girls in Gaming. Now, Terry Nicole, I don't know whether you like, allow, or object to being called girls, as opposed to ladies or women or whatever your non-depleur of choice is, but I really did this for this reason. Our hobby is extremely male-dominated, and although that demographic is pretty slowly changing, I don't think we're going to see really a representation of the general population in gaming circles for a very long time, if if that point ever happens. As such, the view of women in the hobby is often, from my personal view, sort of split into to two segments. And this is from a very male side. But generally, the guys I'm with at gaming conventions and stuff tend to categorise people into either the crusties, the kind of ones that are really into it, or babes, you know? And I think the gaming industry really hasn't helped with its historical depiction of minis of the fairer sex. So, what's your take on it? Is our hobby intrinsically sexist? And if it is, what can be done to change that? That is a really interesting question. Um, I think... Okay, so so I, I come at it from a couple of perspectives. Um, one of the things that I've always been an advocate for, an advocate for is in- inclusive gaming communities. And I think that that is, has come a long way in a very short period of time. <laughs> Um, the awareness of um, the presence of women in gaming um, at the community level uh, has been championed and supported a lot by friendly local gaming stores, gaming clubs, and and there's a welcome atmosphere in the clubs that choose to foster that. So so that's a positive. I think that when we when it comes to miniature wargaming specifically. There's a few elements that kind of make it more challenging. Um, one is that these games, the companies that produce a lot of these games, are still ultimately uh, very male-dominated. So when we come at it from a design perspective, when we come at it from a sculpting perspective, when we come at it from a business perspective, um, decisions are being made by men whose experience with women in the hobby isn't as, as broad. So yep. it it's so they're limiting their de- decisions based on their businesses. They're limiting uh, their their approach to the game, uh, and and as a result, depictions of women within those games. Um, and and so there's a there's slowly moving a shift, at least on the sculpting and design side. I'm seeing a lot more art production and sculpts coming from from women or people who are are more aware of that that presence um but ultimately it's it, you know 
when, when you talk about the higher ups, right, that's that's where the change is trying to we're trying to push from. The other thing is ultimately our hobby is skewed to to men for a variety of reasons. So when we talk about uh, the kind of money we have to invest in the hobby and the kind of time we have to invest in the hobby, um, when we look at traditional kind of understandings of um, the freedom of money and time, that tends to skew to the benefit of men and not so much to women. And and eventually, you know, we're seeing that that shift in culture as well, you know, as women get equal pay for equal work and, and that sort of thing. Um, and as um, the stigma of men being active parents and, and um, that element also is kind of lessening, um, we're seeing more women enter. But um, to say that that men don't dominate the, the gaming aspect of miniature wargaming um, or, or gaming as a whole um, is not quite correct yet. Uh, and there are, there are, you know, structural elements to it and there's economic elements to it. And there's also um, like... The idea that that girls don't like war, uh, confrontation, and, and that sort of thing. There's this 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 cultural bubble. I feel. Oh, um, I think that... my daughter would disagree. She's the most argumentative, most <laughs> warlike person I can. <laughs> I, I think that no, and that's the thing is like the, this idea that um, confrontation is not is not foreign to women, but the idea that war and war spaces are military and things of that nature um, is, is prevalent. And I think, you know, I had a, a, a girlfriend, you know, tell me that, you know, we had to find, I was trying to get her into a game and we had to find a game that was, the theme wasn't necessarily war. We ended up settling on Malifaux for her. Um, but ultimately when we talk about uh, the, the cultural expectation of women, it still skews away from uh, the themes that are present in a lot of miniature tabletop games. And I, I think, you know, as we move, as our culture progresses, that, that becomes less and less. Um, you know, I think too, there is a shift and there has been a shift for a long time on the hobby side. So when I, uh, one of uh, the, the groups I'm on in Facebook is called, is called Hobby Hangout. Uh, it's where painters kind of get together. They hang out on, on Google Hangouts and they paint models together. They, they chat, they talk. A lot of pro painters are there. A lot of hobbyists are there. When we talk about the professional side of hobby, uh, when we talk about pro painters, when we talk about, um, uh, diorama painters, there is, uh, a lot of women involved in that, that aspect of miniature wargaming. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and they tend to be much more prevalent. So when we look at the studio painters for a lot of the big companies like uh, Cool Mini or not Jessica uh, Rich and um, oh gosh uh, we you know uh, you have a lot of women there um, Elizabeth Beckley who who paints a lot of the Arcadia Quest stuff there are women who are in the hobby aspect um, and I think that that you know moving them over to gaming is you know is something that that will eventually come too. So I'm positive about it, but I do think that, you know, absolutely men are very dominant. So do you think it's, it's just a reflection then of wider society as a whole. And it's just taking time for that to, to filter down because there are women coming through into, uh, you know, substantial creative design, uh, lead modeling, sculpting positions within the industry. Nicole, what's your take? 
Well, I think I agree to an extent with what Terry has been saying. And I, I do think that there's sort of a, a shift that's going to very slowly happen. But I also think that it's like I have an interesting perspective on it. At least I have two girls. They're uh, 13 and almost 15. And both of them are involved in the hobby. And they're the only two girls that either one of them know that are really involved in the hobby other than their uh, one cousin who again it's because the family plays this so the family got them into the idea of miniature war gaming and putting together models and that a war game can be fun um, but it's still not something that intuitively or just instinctually that young girls are drawn to and if you're not drawn to a lot of the times when you look at the people who play or have been playing forever. A lot of these guys have been playing since they were in high school. You know, like you said, Alex, that you started playing and then you went to college and there were girls and drinking and then you came back. And I think it's a little bit of where you are when you first, when you first see the hobby. And it's not something that draws a lot of girls in. I don't know that it's necessarily because sort of society's expectation that, you know, girls don't like war games or it's just almost in just something they're not as interested in it's a different way of looking at things it's a different kind of game to play but i do know that it's it's interesting to me that the like you said terry the 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 hobby aspect like the painters people like jessica rich that they're really involved in an industry level but they're not necessarily like making decisions at the top level you know they're more the artistic end of things i think women do tend to go more towards that but at the same time of my kids my you know again they're teenagers just getting into this sort of hobby one absolutely loves the idea of painting models and putting minis together and she has some huge models that are you know week-long projects that are going to require putting the arms on and then letting that you know it's this huge thing she loves it the other one she's not as interested because she hates it so you know i think in any group you're going to find people who are drawn to one aspect or the other i think guys are drawn to it more also because their buddies are playing it and if you've got more of your buddies playing and it's something that they're drawn to when you're 12 13 14 years old you're going to hang out and do that and you're likely to come back to it when you're in your 20s. You're likely to look at going into something like that, maybe as an industry somehow as a designer or creator. Whereas if it's not something that's been a part of your life or that you even really know exists when you're 12, 13, 14, 15, you're not as likely to see it as something you'd be interested in by the time you're an adult and can actually have an effect on that industry. I, I, I think I wanted to mention too um, the presence of trans women in tabletop hobby games, um, because that's something that I find absolutely fascinating. I think the, the, I have met as many trans women in tabletop, through tabletop gaming as I have through roller derby, um, which is an extremely proud and queer kind of sport. They, they embrace that element, um, in their culture. Um, and I think that part of that is, um, prior to their transition, they were exposed to mini wargaming as a hobby and they continued that, that passion and love. And I, I think that the, the presence of trans women, and when I talk about trans women, I, you know, I have people who worked, um, in the gaming industry who got into, uh, you know, table, uh, tabletop miniature wargaming, um, because their, for example, their, their privateer press press ganger was a trans woman or, you know, the, these these individuals have really worked as bridges within the community, and their presence, um, while I feel is is much, 
I feel like it's emerged more in, in the last few years because the world has become a lot more progressive in terms of accepting, uh, their identities. But I think that their presence indicates to us something about how these games have been marketed to them as younger people and how that, that, you know, that they continue to love it despite their gender identity in, indicates something that it's beyond gender, but there's something societal there. Um, and, and I think that that's interesting to me when I, when I go to a large gaming tournament, when we look at tables and upon tables of people playing, um, for example, Adepticon, um, you know, when, when we look at the female player population, a significant portion of that female population are transitioning women. And I think that's really remarkable and that's interesting. And that's also indicative of something, um, when it comes to, to the hobby and how it had been portrayed and, 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 uh, marketed to individuals at a younger age. But of course, Terry, you're speaking from Canada at the moment, correct? Uh, yes, but, uh, when I'm talking about the presence of trans women, um, I'm talking about, you know, uh, larger events like Adepticon. Um, I have a lot of, um, because of my work in, in kind of talking about diversity, uh, you know, I've written a, a reasonably well shared article for the Mary Sue about, you know, making our gaming community more inclusive and, you know, act, actionable points, not just, you know, um, complaining about the situation. Yeah. Um, when, when we talk about those individuals, um, they're, you know, there's still a significant minority, right? We're talking about maybe a one to one ratio when it comes to like players, um, uh, who are, who are by, uh, cis female and who are trans female, uh, in a player base, sometimes more leaning towards trans. And I think that's, to me, that's an interesting kind of presence. And, and this is at like events like Adepticon, large scale events with a lot of wargamers in the same room. Um, no, I was only mentioning Canada because, of course, you are speaking mm-hmm. from about five to ten years in our progressive future. Um, <laughs> oh, fair whereas, enough, fair enough. Whereas, obviously, Nicole being from North America and myself being from the UK, who have both taken a political step into the 1970s, uh, may oh not be gosh, able to claim yeah. the same thing. <laughs> it's, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting kind of um, perspective because um, – it wasn't until I started vlogging for Geek and Sundry as a strong female voice uh, for tabletop gaming um, that that focused on like entry level inclusive kind of beginner stuff, right? Because a lot of content out there didn't four year five four or five years ago there wasn't a lot of content for people who were just starting out uh, on YouTube and and what I found was a lot of uh, individuals uh, gravitated to me um, because of my femaleness. And a lot of those individuals happened to be uh, genderqueer um, and have interesting di- identities that weren't necessarily represented in, in wargaming. Because when we talk about wargaming, uh, it's hard to talk about miniature wargaming, not just from a gender's perspective, because I am also a woman of color um, and the, the dominance of, of, Eurocentrism and 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 uh, Euro European origin um, cis males in in that culture is also something that that I'm highly aware of, and as a result, like you see you see the the shift much more acutely. I have seen the shift much more acutely um, 
over the last few years in the culture as games became more inclusive, as games started portraying people who were not, um, you know, white cis males, I guess, uh, for lack of a better term, um, in their games, as well as, as, you know, having more entry points. So when we look at, for example, a, a tournament that, at a local gaming store, uh, that, that's playing X-Wing, um, as a miniature game. And when we talk about, like, extremely easy to, to, to come into games, X-Wing is probably one of the biggest and, and has the least barriers to entry. Um, and you see that shift in the demographic because of its accessibility. Yeah, and also it's a franchise which has a, you know, Star Wars has a huge female background as well. Absolutely. So, you know, strong female characters. Um, you know, I think the recent films have really reinforced that as well. And I must, mm. yeah, we, we've talked before about how we're, we're big Star Wars fans as well. I, I mean, Nicole, what do you think? Because you're immersed in a world from a, a real-life perspective in your job, which is, again, traditionally extremely male-centric. Do you see parallels between sort of the car industry and the, the gaming industry? Yeah, you know, it is interesting, right? I mean, I'm a, my day job is an automotive journalist, so I am in an industry that is, by and large, run by men, geared, everything is, is male-focused. I go to events, and I just came back from an event where there were, it's typical to have 30 to 40 of journalists in a room. I was the only woman there. Um, it's not even like I was one of a few. It was me and a whole bunch of guys. Um, and so I understand, I mean, I, I understand what it's like to, to, to be involved in something where you're not uh, you're not the norm and you're sort of the odd man out. But the thing, and I have to say this is, and I've experienced this in automotive and I've experienced it in gaming just because I'm the only woman in the room. It truly is rare for me to feel like someone has negatively singled me out for that. Most of the time, honestly, most of the time, whether I'm talking to other journalists, whether I'm talking to executives from the companies or PR people or communications people, whoever it is, most of the time I'm singled out as you go, girl, you're the only woman in this room. Good for you. And they're happy to have you there and they're excited to have you there. And I have experienced the same thing in gaming, even though women aren't as um, there aren't as many women out there. You know, it is you go to any convention and you're going to see more guys than you are women in gaming conventions. And we all know that. I feel like the majority of the time, most men and most other women even are welcoming to having more women in, in, little, in their little club. Um, there's always someone who doesn't want women in the club, who wants it to be a boys school, who feels threatened or irritated or, you know, you don't belong here, get back in the kitchen, make me a sandwich kind of thing. But those guys really are, they really are the minority of people out there. You know, I, I come into contact with hundreds and hundreds of people every, you know, every week almost when I'm traveling that are, and most of these people are men in automotive, but very, very few of them. And it's funny, it's not even age, you know, sometimes the older guys are more excited and happy to see women breaking into something and women being a part of something. They just want to be happy and and engage in what they want. They don't care if it's a if it's traditionally a guy's thing. You can you can hold your own if you like engage. You know the rules. Play the game. You can paint the mini. You can set up your train, even if it's a terrible boring mat with nothing on it. Um, you can you know get out there and be a part of it. And I feel like overall, it is a welcoming space, despite the occasional unwelcome things that happen. I think that the culture absolutely has changed, and I and I I'm speaking from a a place of having personally seen the way I have been treated um, within 
even even one company. I mean, so when I was uh, kind of relatively novice to the hobby, um, uh, you know, I had I'd I'd been working for Games Workshop, and I went to uh, one of the Games Workshop run events called Conflict Vancouver at the time. It was hosted in Vancouver, BC, uh, in Canada, and. I was playing a Tau Power List, and I had steamrolled through first three rounds of of the tournament. And one of the more formative moments for me in in my relationship with the hobby was when a Games Workshop executive, who I will not name names, um, who was also um, you know part of the the organizing you know people in the event, came up to me and he said. Well, you're doing very well in the hobby. That's great, you know, because uh, normally women are just rubbish at the game. And <laughs> and that moment stuck with me, and it still sticks with me. I remember thinking, like, I I wish that, like, he was he was both trying. He was obviously trying to compliment me, but in that moment, there was something there that, like, that that was indicating to me, you know, these are there's something about the way that these individuals are approaching the game. They don't understand why, why I choose to play the game Um, because my motives might be different from someone else. And, and, you know, to, to lump in um, female gamers uh, as, as, you know, just garbage (laughs) and, and therefore, you know, less likely to like the game because they might not win as much or, or something like that. Um, but you don't fit the demographic, Terry. You're you're not a a white male IT support worker, <laughs> right? I mean, it's funny though. Like when we talk about demographics, like I, so I, I, you know, on my YouTube channel, I, you know, I get a for a, a tabletop miniature focused channel because that that's kind of the vertical I focus on. Um, that channel has a ninety two percent male demographic you know, population in terms of, of my stats, that is extremely high for tabletop content on YouTube. Miniature Wargaming tabletop content on YouTube. Um, when I talk to the guys at Mini Wargaming, they're at about a 98% uh, male. Um, even uh, female-led channels like um, uh, Wargamer Girl, she's sitting at about a 97% um, male. And so I understand that, like, the demographics are still... Like when it comes to like hardcore consumption of this this topic, it's not just like, hey, so I'm gonna pick up this light game, I'm gonna play it a little bit. No, when we're talking about people who like watch battle reports and read blogs and are trying to optimize lists, of course it skews very heavy uh, towards males, um, especially if they've have a long history with this game, right? That that's the kind of content they're consuming, um, and I think that that part of you know when I when I talked a little bit about the the heavy investment in the barriers to entry. If we had more games, and I think that we're seeing this on the, like the board gaming and the the like the hybrid, you know, you know, board game with quality component side. When we talk about a more casual entry into this realm, that's when you see the population of women come up significantly, um, because those barriers to entry aren't. As severe. So I'm guessing you. I mean, you mentioned your executive there who tried to give you the the 1970s style compliment. Are we still seeing then sort of? I guess people. 
I'm going to say my age now, uh, the sort of 45 plus age group um, starting to come into those senior positions who perhaps have a little bit more of a progressive outlook, you know, who mm. grew up in the 80s and started to see things change and look at people as people rather than this sort of very strict gender divide. And I suppose in this uh, topic, it's more like if you're playing a game, it's see them as a component like a, a component, I mean an opponent. <laughs> like if you're playing against someone, more rather than yeah, like rather than oh, I'm playing a male or I'm playing a female. It's who you're against and what they're doing, kind of thing. Yeah. So, are we starting to see those come through? Because I mean, we still see minis being produced by. I mean, I'm thinking of Games Workshop now with the Sisters of Silence and Sisters of of Battle. Um, I mean, the Sisters of Battle, that retro, you know, the retcon mini that they did recently the canoness unpronounceable name or whatever she was. Um, that's not really helping, is it? <laughs> I mean, to me, I looked at that mini and it was... I mean, it was horrible in a lot of different ways. We that talked about true. that yes. a couple of percent <laughs> ago. Like um, but again, what it's representing, you know, a, a woman in some sort of stylized corset with skull boob holders, it's... I mean, it says nothing to me at all. And the image of... Well, it says a lot of things. Well, it's it does right say a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, but... It, but in terms of being engaging, you know, I look at it and just think, ugh. Mm. And it speaks to me of a time that's gone, you know? Should have died a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we've we've touched there on female minis, so let's have a look at some specific examples of exactly what I'm talking about there. And if people want to follow this, I will put the images on the blog, although thinking of that, that means I've got to have the images on the blog, which is not a great positive. But anyway, you can see what we're talking about uh, and make your own decisions. So... One of the first ones uh, I want to look at is a website I came up looking at this called magicreality.com, which does sound a bit like a fetish porn site, actually. But this kind of demonstrates exactly what I what I mean with the disproportionate portrayal of women as sexual objects rather than, as, as you say, opponents or components within the game. Because we have this, which isn't particularly for any uh, particular game system, I believe, they just make minis. But they have some monstery types, they've got some sniper guy who looks kind of like a World War One strip two steampunk Fallout Three type of guy, and then we have the next, the first female mini we come across is the Steel Enforcers Domigiant, <laughs> whatever that is, and again, straight away we have a female figure who is wearing very little, with incredibly high heels, foot up on a rock, very kind of manga esque, and okay, she's wearing a World War One type gas mask. That's the only kind of nod towards the other figure. Compared to the figure who was wearing a great coat and kind of armour and had a huge weapon, she has a whip, she has almost some clothes on. <laughs> I mean, guys, guys, <laughs> why, why are companies still making minis like this? Well, I don't think the question is why are companies still making them. You know why companies are still making them? Because someone's still buying them. Mm-hmm. And so if guys are buying them, if people are buying them, they're not in the business of just making us all feel happy and equal. They're in the business of making money. So if they're making that model with the ginormous boobs and the whip and the high heels, it's because they think it's going to sell. Those sell. If they didn't sell, they would put some clothes on her and make her look like the steel enforcer guy that's next to her. But it's what they, so what that's actually catering to is exactly what a large enough portion of the market is asking for, or they wouldn't make it. That's absolutely true. And I, I mean, I think one of the things is this isn't just specific to mini wargaming. Let's let's be perfectly honest. The depiction of women in in all sorts of media is, is like is so prevalent. Like when people talk about uh, comparing uh, the depiction and 
like just the photographic posing of Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow in in movie posters and comparing it to any yeah. other male Avenger, you see the difference, right? So even if we're going to compare the Steel Enforcer to um, his female counterpart, I guess, um, even if you take away what they are wearing, the suggestive posing, that's the difference here when we're looking at um, female minis. Even if they are wearing clothes, they're not posed for battle when you have people who are creating these images. They're not interested in making a female model who looks like they are a active participant in the battle, but rather is eye candy. And I think that that's the inherent problem. And that approach comes from, again, the, the, the structural level of, of business, um, people making decisions and determining what they think their customers will want. I think that's a I think that's a really good point. And I'm gonna kind of underline that now by talking about one of my most hated Kickstarters. I I may put myself in a certain bracket here, but uh, <laughs> the the Game Kingdom Death uh, was a, <laughs> an extremely successful Kickstarter. It had over five thousand backers. It generated over two million dollars in revenue for its first Kickstarter. And you think, okay, there's, there's a particular um, trench of people who go for it. It's extremely, it even talks about it being an adult sexualized game. And it kind of tries to get away from the female bit by saying, oh, the males are also posed sexually, which to me is the worst, weakest excuse in the world. It's like, oh, because the guy's got his shirt off, then it's okay that she's naked. It's like, come on, guys. But even more worrying for me is that the follow-up 1.5 Kingdom Death uh, monster Kickstarter, almost 20,000 backers, so it's over four times as successful, and it raised a staggering $12.4 million. So what is wrong with people? <laughs> Specifically, what is wrong with our gender, Oscar? I mean, cause, I mean, um, I'm interested in your perspective, because... You have grown up in a different time. You've grown up in a time of... And I've grown up with you as parents, and you've well, always had this well, kind I of mean, view. Apart from that <laughs> handicap, um, we've always presented things, I think, quite equally. Mm, we've always given you equal chances. We've always presented you... I mean, you used to have a baby doll when you were a kid. Sorry, I've just broadcast that. I didn't even air. know that, so... <laughs> <laughs> um, but exactly, it doesn't make a difference. I mean, like, I've that's the first time I've heard of that, but so... Um, and I think it's just sad, and... It somewhat makes me disappointed to be a male sometimes when you're just like, yeah, yeah, more than lots and lots of us do this, and it's just like, why, why? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if Kickstarter can kind of get the demo, pull the demographics of just like what ages and where, which countries did these backers come from. We can map out the the sort of sexism <laughs> heat map of the world. <laughs> because to me, I mean, I'm just. Looking now at the screen, and I'll put it on the, the blog. Uh, this is the self-professed, this is the pin-up version, so they even produce mm -hmm. a pin-up version of some of these minis, of the the knight. Now, you think she's a knight, and she knight, does have a sword, say, um, so, you know, she's a knight. She's not going to um, have much protection against a sword. Well, she's got wearing... some sort of armoured... She can't boots. swing that sword. Let's Let's just... Say what it is. There are no straps on whatever is attached to her chest. Um, so if she were to swing that sword, it, bad things are going to happen to to her body. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, even the the sculpt of her body itself is—you know—she has 
She has large breasts. She's got a very small waist. She's got large childbearing hips. You know, it's just, as you said, Terry, the, and she's just posed in this, it's almost neutral, but it's not. She's got her feet slightly turned inwards. Say, know, if someone charges her, her with a sphere, she's not going to be ready. Well, no. <laughs> um, you know, and this kind of is probably one of the least offensive minis in this game. Oh, really? Um, yeah, and I'm not going to put the others on the website because I wouldn't sully my website with it. But it really is the, the absolute worst. For me, you know, if you're a knight, it doesn't matter whether you're male or female, you need armour, yeah? Because you're... That's what knights wore. Lord of the Rings, <laughs> I am no man. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, if Tolkien could get it right, that it was actually a woman who saved kind of the whole um, universe at the end there. You know, how come many, many decades later we're still portraying women like this? Because there are sad I, I, people in the world who need to get outside and experience I, life. I think there's something that... that um, I think this is part of a greater thing. Like when we talk about Kingdom Death and it's it's runaway success. I mean, the art portrays a lot of these these images. The miniatures, I think, it, in the newer insult installments, they've moved away from pinup. They do have like pinup add-ons, but they're not central to the game. But the art itself still has these problematic representations. Um, yeah. But we we can look at um. We can look at other games that have also had similar problems. Like when we look at another runaway success, we're looking at Conan, um, which is a hybrid board mini game um, that had, again, very problematic representation of women in the art and problematic elements in terms of like what the female character did on the table um, because she wasn't necessarily an active character. Um, I think that when we when we take these approaches like kingdom death you know make no mistake the game itself is a strong game right the game itself is is at least in the second kickstarter when i talk to friends when i talk about you know this game with them when i talk to to game reviewers um that i work with who are my colleagues when they talk about these games it's a good game similarly when they talk about conan conan is a good game um these problematic elements don't detract enough from the game and i think that's the difference is like we can complain about scarlett johansson you know being highly sexualized in avengers does it stop us from seeing the movie no yeah well i, I, I haven't actually complained a- about the sexualization of scarlett yeah. johansson specifically yeah but, yeah because she no, but- because i like her <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I have my limits, you know. <laughs> you, you sort of just said exactly the answer, though. It's yeah. you know this is a this is a model that it's it's you know scantily clad and very sexy and all that. But what you just said about Scarlet, because you like her. I mean, there's nothing wrong. Let's be honest here. But a guy thinking that this is a good looking model, like it's attractive. It's not. That's why. That's part of why men like these models. There's nothing heinous about men being attracted to women. It. it it's perfectly fine and that the models are attractive and something that men find appealing because this is you know we've already sort of established there's more guys playing this kind of stuff than women there's nothing inherently wrong with that really um you know if you don't i I guess i'm coming out this from a bit of a different angle but it's like yes you don't want to teach your 10 year old son that this is the woman that you should be looking to marry or that this is the ideal uh woman of in the real world but this isn't the real world she's carrying a sword that's taller than she is you know it's 
it, there is a fantasy element to this, and this plays into that fantasy element. And men do enjoy looking at beautiful women, and they do enjoy models of beautiful women or sexualized women in a game. Yeah, I guess and that's... I mean, I have a bit of a problem with with that in general, because where do you draw the line? And I think I think that's a good thing about the, you know, the, the 10-year-old son stuff, because I think if I wasn't able to show it to my 10-year-old daughter then I don't think it's appropriate. And actually, I was joking about Scarlett Johansson, but actually I do agree that uh, I think the character in the Marvel movies, and I only, I'm not a big Marvel fan. I like some of the, the ones. I'll go and see Logan. Mm. Uh, you know, I think Avengers Assemble onwards was pretty dire. Um, and I think her, I mean, Scarlett Johansson, I think is an amazing actress, actor, Whatever your gender. The thing is with her, she plays some really kind of well, characters think, which portray herself in not a good light. If you think about um, Lucy, or she starts under the skin, or under the skin, they start. Under the skin was a fantastic film, and really talks about. I mean, she is an alien that is duping men um, with sexuality to lure them to then use them as meat. Yeah, exactly. She doesn't <laughs> care about it. And, you know, and I think that was a great portrayal. That was very um, good. And yeah, I was disappointed with the the Marvel portrayal of her uh, because I think she's better than that. So I do have a bit of a problem with these kind of, you know, yeah, I I appreciate the female form as much as any male, but there's a it's it's where I'm looking for it. I'm not looking for that in my miniature gaming. You know, that should be about mm-hmm. what is the game about. It's you know, if I you know we talked about uh, miniature porn. Um, if you're looking for porn, you go looking for porn. You don't go to your miniature gaming. I don't want to go to my gaming club. It'd be quite embarrassing, actually, going <laughs> some of the guys thinking about anything sexual, actually. It'd just be weird. You know, it's like there's a time and a place for everything. And I think, you know, going back to that sort of self-check, is this something I would show my daughter or introduce my daughter to? We recently played a game, my daughter and I, my youngest daughter, Esther, who's 10 now, be 11 this year, and we played Dungeon Saga, the Mantic game. And she loved it. She thought it was great. You know, my eldest daughter has no interest. And it's not because she's a girl. It's just because she literally has no interest in anything like that. You know, so I think it is very much treating people as people. But I think if if I showed her those things, she would think it was weird. In the same way as if those depictions were of men in the same kind of way, she would also think it was weird. I mean, I agree with you on that, but by the same token, it's like, okay, so, you know, you don't show everything to your 10-year-old, but there are movies out there that we probably all love, right, that we would all see, and you would show it to your 16-year-old son, and it's appropriate, but you might not show that to an 8-year-old because it's not appropriate for an 8-year-old. That doesn't mean that it's still not an appropriate movie. You just have to tailor it a little bit to your audience, and I sometimes feel that that's what these games are doing. This is not clearly a game made, uh, tailored to a younger audience. It shouldn't be for a younger audience, but not every game has to be everything to all people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I think one of the things, though, is um, the, the Kickstarter of uh, Kingdom Death is all they, that's how their that's their distribution model. They don't sell to stores. They they don't rely on dis- distributors to kind of you know push their product to stores. They sell direct to customers, and so what you end up having is kind of this this um kind of bias towards you know the consumers who want this product will buy the product and the the people who make this product will make that that product for the consumers there there's no impetus to broaden their consumer base and and I say this um with the um with the recognition that 
the the larger gaming sphere isn't like that. So when you have a, mo- a business model that you know incentivizes broadening your consumer base, that is the opposite. So when um, earlier last year I put up a vlog where I pretty much like I I criticized heavily uh, one company's usage of the term play like you have a pair in their codified rulebook. Um, uh, that that is Privateer Press. That the game is War Machine and Hordes, and the the a lot of where Privateer Press came from in the first edition was a specific um, reaction to what Games Workshop was doing. So they kind of bore out and carved out their their consumer base out of people who are unhappy with Games Workshop. So. The first edition, it leaned very heavy into this extremely sexist language. The second edition kind of stepped a little bit away from that, but they still kept the language of play got a pair and like no sissy boys and, and like there was still that, that, that highly competitive male oriented kind of focus. They released the third edition over the summer and War Machine and Hordes got on my best of 2016 diversity inclusivity games list um, in terms of representation because War Machine has always had the representative representation of females to be something that is, you know, diverse, immersive. Like I can see myself in a world of War Machine, any one of those armies, there are people of color, there are women, there are men, there are, um, there are, people um, of all sorts of backgrounds. There are people of different body shapes. And I think like when I, I bought a, a, a basic infantry unit on horseback and I was painting them and it wasn't until I got to one of the models where like, I think this one is a girl. Like they don't, they, you know, these are nameless models and they still made a choice to include female models in their infantry. The, the sculpting and decisions that, that War Machine and Hordes has, has made, and th- these are legacy decisions, right, in terms of the depiction of women. There are women who are absolutely sexualized, just like in Malifaux. There are women who, who choose to use that. Um, there are also women who are not. And I think that is what is more interesting to me. That is where, when we talk about representation of women in gaming, I'm not looking for you know, every freaking female model to be, you know, armored to the hilt where you can't tell that's a female. Um, but I am looking for a diversity. When you have enough female models to be able to, in your range, and, and this is an entire range, I, I'm looking at a game where, like, I would argue that there are more female miniatures to male ratio ratio than there are, like, certainly tournament players in War Machine, to males like that, that ratio is so heavy in, in the fem- depiction of females um, and depiction of non of ethnic individuals um, in their art, in their. So it's, it's not just like, you know, you paint these people, you know, as if they have a tan. It's like, no, the depiction of that character in the, the concept art and all the way down um, is of, of ethnic heritage. And that sort of thing, for me, that's what's really intriguing. The diversity of the game in its depiction um, is aspirational and it's interesting and it's it's inclusive, not because, you know, they shy away from sexualizing, um, but because they offer breadth. And um, and that's what's interesting to me. And and I think I think that's a product of 
them being incentivized to broaden their consumer base. They are on a, a traditional distribution model. They do not go on Kickstarter. They, you know, they, they have to convince friendly local gaming stores to sell their products in the store. And, and those people are the champions of their game to the gamers who play in their store. Right. So it, it, it chains all the way down. And I think that that is something that, that you see that, that I think is a little bit different. And as, as you see games that, that skew heavier towards uh, a consumer direct only model, you're more likely to see those, those depictions be more extreme. Um, whereas on the opposite end, when you look at fantasy flight games, you look at the depiction of, of people of color and women in like a fantasy flight game, particularly using like the Star Wars license, because it's extremely inclusive and they want to capitalize on that license. They are even more incentivized to, to broaden that consumer base and make people want to play that game by being feeling included and able to step into that universe. Yeah, for me, it's all about, and you mentioned it a couple of times there, about what's appropriate. Going to D&D has been quite interesting in this respect. Is, you know, if I want a barmaid figure, I want a figure that looks like a barmaid. I don't want a figure that, like you say, you can't tell whether it's, it's, it's a barman or a barmaid. Whereas if you want a female paladin, you want a figure that looks like a paladin with the armorer and shield, etc. that's appropriate for that. Now I'm going to go back to Deaconess, whatever her name was, from Gay's Workshop. And I can't see anything that's appropriate about that miniature. You know, the shoes, the battle hooves, whatever you want to call them. They're just not appropriate. The whole thing looked uncomfortable. Anybody wearing that couldn't have been comfortable. And if you're not comfortable, you can't fight. So it's about that kind of appropriateness. So I want to talk a little bit more about that in terms of female minis, uh, female mini design, with a bit more of a positive example and positive spin on that. We do have some minis out there that don't look like they're uh, clad for the beach, but actually for battle. So there's a whole different set of ranges. Uh, we have some Celts, so we have a couple of uh, different sets of those. One complete mm-hmm. with uh, blue face paint, which I'm slightly averse to, being English rather than Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll, we'll gloss over that one. So again, these are females that are kitted out more for what they're supposed to be doing, right? They're still mm-hmm. identifiable as female in a lot of lot of instances. You know, they're uh, they're not completely androgynous. I mean, I think I think when you touched on D and D character minis, it is the relationship between that individual and that mini is far more direct. Um, and I think that's why you have, especially in D and D, but when you're looking at um, uh, sites like Hero Forge as well, they, you can actually custom build a mini that they print with Shapeways, and and um, the the idea is you're making an avatar of you, right? Um, so if the only options were highly sexualized options, you you probably wouldn't sell to uh, individuals looking for a representation of themselves, right? And I think that's that's the thing that I'm I'm noticing here. Um, and and kind of one of the things that that's remarkable about about the relationship with women and and the games they play and and who they want to be at the same time if you're a male looking to play a female character maybe you're not as interested in being a sexualized object maybe you are maybe you aren't though right and i think that choice and and that that creates a question in the manufacturer's mind 
about um, about the depiction and and what they're going to try to sell you. Yeah, so I mean, again, it's sites like uh, and you forwarded me a couple of links here: Arcane Factories uh, and Hero Forge, where you're able to custom design your your own miniature. Mm-hmm. And we we've done this a couple of times, haven't we? Yeah. Although we've never actually placed the the orders because. $25 for a single mini, it's like, cool. that's, that's a fairly high barrier. Mm. <laughs> Plus, I think it depends on what you get them cast in. I've seen some examples which are made in some of the higher quality plastics, which are just amazing, uh, and mm-hmm. in some of the lower quality plastics, which are, well, we could 3D print probably better ones. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think there's a uh, there's a bit of a range there. But, yeah, there is a much greater investment, you're right, when you've got a character um, that you've you know spent a long time. Well, how long have we been playing now? Six, six months? Six oh, yeah. months mm. for the current campaign so yeah it's an interesting perspective actually about whether the the level of investment you have in your mini then sort of depicts the amount of care that you would choose its form with i definitely think if you're doing D and you really are trying to get into that character as opposed to just an army that's on the field you're certainly looking for characters that are more representative of what you think that person should really be and what you're trying to be because it's nature of D, you are being that person so unless you're looking for highly sexualized you, <laughs> which some people might be, then yeah, these like these bad spodominies are going to be more along the lines of what people are going to want. Yeah, and I think perhaps that's actually some of my my own objection to the sexualization of sort of a broad swathe of troops on the battlefield is it seems very throwaway. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of that uh, in the, in the same way of the depiction of any group, I guess. If if care isn't spent on the minis, and we mentioned this with Mantic Games uh, in the sort of 2017 overview or um, crystal ball gazing um some of the their legacy minis the sculpts on them are kind of a bit off especially on some of the humans uh for the rank troops and if i feel that do i really want to invest in a buying them and then b painting them when i really think actually this mini looks a bit goofy so kind of do i want it so perhaps it's that level of care you know that, that i feel has been invested into the sculpts and if i feel that it's just almost characterizing uh women Perhaps I don't want that in my army because I don't want that to represent me. Mm. That's true. I mean, you're still saying something about what your own preferences are when you're fielding an army of women dressed in bikinis versus an army of women dressed in... <laughs> um, you know, that's a very different uh, different image you're projecting of yourself that other players are going to look at you and, and probably make some assumptions about who you are, why you're playing, and the kind of guy you are. And I don't know, Terry, second me out and tell me what you think about this, but I mean, as a woman, if I see a guy who has a, an entire army of bikini-clad warriors, it says certain things to me about that guy, you know? It's, it's one of those things where I remember um, playing at tournaments against a, a, an opponent who would custom order the Asdrubial Vect slave girls, and I'm not sure if you remember <laughs> them, Alex. <laughs> for his imperial guard he'd use uh, like there were guys who used them as like like um objective tokens and it's just wow i know and and when i would show up to the table and he'd pull them out he he would always like there was always a little bit of awareness um of of the kind of like oh yeah you uh oops um <laughs> <laughs> this moment is this awkward moment. And I think like, and I, one of the the things though is like, I remember that era and I was just like, those were probably the most prevalent female models apart from sisters of battle. And mm-hmm. when you'd have a sisters of battle player come up and I played more men who played sisters of battle than women who ever, you know, played sisters of battle consistently. Um, 
they would always talk to me about why they loved the sisters and it was their story and their fluff and their depiction. And they're just the enthusiasm for having females who made, who were themselves powerful um, was interesting. And so there, there's like the relationship that they had with that army was always very different than the guy who had like a relationship with his objective marker that happened to be a slave girl. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure we want to explore that relationship. But, <laughs> <laughs> it was, but I, I think part of it is, and, and I always talk about this. I always talk about how like there are sites out there like Victoria miniatures makes Imperial guard female miniatures that you can buy and stick them in your ranks and they blend in, but it looks like you actually have women in your Imperial guard force. Um, she is not making a living selling those miniatures selling solely to women, right? The depiction of women in war games is shifted as much by the men or more so by the men involved in the game than it is by the women. And I think that says a lot about how the culture is shifting too, though, right? Like these, we're talking about guys, you know, like yourself, Alex, you have daughters now. How much more uncomfortable are you playing as Jubilee Vex slave girls, um, when you were like 18, 19, 20, um, you know, catting around and, and enjoying drinks with, with the ladies, um, as you were now that you have daughters who you want to share your hobbies and your passions with. We are entering a new generation of gaming where, where gaming is a legacy we pass on to our children. And when you have many wargamers who are sharing their passions with their children, there's a shift in the market. Yeah. No, I think it's uh, maybe actually, you know, going back to Nicole's point of the, the age appropriateness, maybe that's not a good example. Maybe it's actually, uh, would you show your mother these is perhaps a, a better test because, you know, if you do have that awkward kind of feeling, it's like, well, where's that coming from? You know, if, if you feel that, then why are you doing this? But I think part of it, though, is it, it's the same reason why I have friends who buy those anime girl pillowcases and and posters. And I'm not going to say, like, friends recently. Like, when I was younger, that was a common thing, right? Like, um, I don't, I don't, like, I don't think poorly of these guys, you know, who, who do that. These are, these are things that make them happy, right? Ultimately, miniatures are something that should make you happy. But I think that, when it comes to a game as a whole, you know, I feel like miniature companies can do a better job at at manufacturing and producing a breadth of female depictions. So you well, can have guys who, who want, you know, that. And you can also have guys who have a relationship with their army and, and their force and women who are, who's, that's much stronger and, and um, and, and less subjectified. Like, I think that, I, I don't think that this is just about, like, women in the games. I think that this is, this is more about how companies can better, um, facilitate a relationship between a player and their models, right? Well, I think you've both said it really. I think at the end of the day, and it was a very good point, you know, why do companies make these minis? And at the end of the day, it's because we buy them. 
Uh, and you're right, because yeah. these companies, actually, most companies, I mean, there are some small companies who are really, you know, run by gamers. They've still got a gaming culture internally. Bigger companies, I mean, Games Workshop is a corporate machine. And I think the more corporate it becomes, the, the less it connects with the base and goes off. And I think that was, you know, Games Workshop's troubles 10 to 5 years ago. Well, they're not um, really looking at how the models are formed. They're looking at the statistics of what sells and what doesn't. And they'll uh, go exactly. towards what when, sells more. When it becomes more run by spreadsheet, that's, I think, when you get some of the problems. So I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. It is within our power to guide this, the future of this by, yes, becoming involved in the games, becoming involved in the companies, getting to those positions of power, changing from within, but also, ultimately, it's the power of the green, right? It's, mm. where are you putting your dollars? And if people are voting with their feet and buying, no, I actually want to buy this or that, you know, or this as opposed to that, that's where the real power lies. So, I take it actually as a, you know, incumbent upon ourselves is if we want to change this, we need to change it ourselves. We need to go out there and represent, you know, each of us are representatives of, you know, and I think you, you mentioned it there, of our, our own personality comes through in our armies, you know, in the forces that we put down on the, the table, in the way that we interact with, with the games, you know. Are we giving those backhanded compliments of like, hey, you know, most girls are crap at these games, uh, <laughs> kinds of things, or are we actually treating people, as Oscar said, as, as equals, as just opponents, you know, okay, I'm facing you now, you happen to be a girl, you could be a boy, it doesn't really matter, my aim is to do this, you know, and I'll treat you seriously as I would any any other opponent. You know, it's making the it uh, sexually agnostic hmm. so really good discussion uh, thanks both for that for me i'd love to hear what you think about the subject out there in the gaming world and uh, i think the subject of our listener poll for this episode is a is a pretty easy one i think you know something around do we think that women miniatures are over sexualized in gaming and do you think that's appropriate in the 21st century so if you head across to our blog page click through to the listeners poll and give us your opinion on that I'd be most grateful that brings us to the end of this episode. My thanks to all of you out there in the gaming world for downloading and listening to the show. If you like what we're doing, please go ahead and leave us your feedback on iTunes and send us any queries, comments or requests on our blog over at Man's Model Moments, which you can find on Google or through our Facebook page. Don't forget to vote on the listener poll, and we look forward to you joining us next time. So, signing off from the Hub Systems, it's Alex. And Oscar. And Terry. Thank you so much for having me, Alex. This has been fun. We'll see you next time. <laughs>